This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. have a doppelganger, a look-alike somewhere that made you do a double-take. Maybe you've been stopped in the street and had people comment on your resemblance to someone they know. Or perhaps you've been constantly told that you look like a famous actor, musician, or athlete. It's one thing to share a resemblance, but what if you were truly mistaken for somebody else? Depending on how close the similarities are, the confusion can be totally understandable, and it happens all the time. Most of the time, it's amusing to be confused with someone else, if not a bit flattering sometimes. It's when the likeness is so uncanny that people actually think you are someone else that things can get weird. This is exactly what happened to a 19-year-old named Bobby Shaffron. It was 1980, and Bobby was in his first day of classes at Sullivan Community College in upstate New York. Curiously, his fellow students, who were all complete strangers to him, approached with a bit too much enthusiasm for his comfort. The level of familiarity they were showing was just odd. Even though this was his very first day on campus, people were welcoming him back. That wasn't the only strange thing, either. Every single person who came over to say hello got his name completely wrong. For some reason, they weren't calling him Bobby. They were calling him Eddie. To Bobby, it was an obvious mix-up, but word spread anyway that Eddie was back on campus. He was eventually approached by a student who asked him his birth date and whether he was adopted. Both were kind of personal questions but he was happy to provide the information if it could help explain why everyone thought he was someone else. When Bobby confirmed that he was in fact adopted, the other student was visibly shocked. The words that followed changed his life forever. I think you have a twin brother. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. The person everyone was mistaking Bobby Shaffron for turned out to be 19-year-old Eddie Galland. Eddie had attended Sullivan Community College the previous semester, but had dropped out. It was his friend that made the connection on Bobby's first day in class, and then drove him over to Eddie's house, where the twins met. It was such a feel-good, heartwarming story that soon people across the U.S. were talking about the chance reunion. That included 19-year-old David Kelman, a student at Queens College, located in New York City. But when he dug a little deeper into the various news reports, he made a surprising discovery. He realized that his physical resemblance and personal information was basically identical to Bobby and Eddie. Incredibly, just a short time later, it was confirmed that David was indeed their brother. Within the span of just a few months, Three complete strangers learned they didn't just have brothers, they were identical triplets. 
Each one had always assumed they were an only child. But this changed everything. In more ways than one. Bobby Schaffer and Eddie Galland, David Kelman, all adopted at birth and were not aware of each other's existence. So far interesting, but not remarkable. But then, at age 19, the three boys finally met through a crazy set of circumstances and quickly realized they were identical triplets. The heartwarming human interest story was soon overshadowed by the circumstances of their situation. The question everyone was asking was simple. Why had they been separated at birth to begin with? The answer, however, was much more complicated and darker than anyone could have imagined. Eddie, Bobby, and David were all born on July 12, 1961, in New York City. The agency that handled their adoptions, Louise Wise Services, was run by the Jewish Board of Guardians. Bobby was adopted by a doctor and a lawyer who lived in upscale Westchester County. Eddie went to a middle-class family from the suburbs of Long Island. Lastly, David was given to a working-class couple in the borough of Queens. It turned out they all lived less than 100 miles away from each other, but for 19 years, they might as well have been on different planets. Only through a series of random events did they find each other. This is easily one of the most compelling stories I have ever had the chance to cover. Let's just call it a reunion like no other. Well, you're not seeing uh, double, you are perhaps in a moment going to be seeing triple. Well, now they are almost 20 years old. Uh, Sunday is their birthday. It will be the first birthday these guys have ever celebrated together. The trio became somewhat of a media sensation and soon were appearing on the talk show circuit. They were making public appearances dressed, well, identically. Also, in every interview they gave, they would amuse themselves by finishing each other's sentences. We're, we're all the same. As soon as we started discussing our personalities, our personalities are the same. We always our talk at the same time. The same. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> we start. I'll start a sentence and he'll finish it. It was almost like we were just confirming. Are you exactly like me, or, or aren't you? Exactly. Oh yes, we are. And it was just the, pretty much that simple. Eddie, Bobby, and David not only all smoked cigarettes, but they smoked the same exact brand. They enjoyed watching wrestling events and, apparently, were attracted to the same type of women. For a while, life was really good. The brothers caught up on lost time by moving into an apartment together. They were getting into clubs like the famous Studio 54 and were seen partying with celebrities. They even landed a cameo appearance in the 1985 movie, Desperately Seeking Susan, starring Madonna. In 1988, they capitalized on their success and opened a restaurant called Triplet's Romanian Steakhouse. By the 1990s, however, the fairy tale reunion was starting to show signs of trouble. The brothers were now in their early 30s and business partners. It didn't take long before Bobby decided to leave the restaurant partnership after an ongoing fight with David. Eddie, who was desperate to hold on to whatever birth family he had, decided to follow David as he moved houses. But in June 1995, following a struggle with mental health issues, Eddie took his own life. It was David's wife who found the body, 
as Eddie was living across the street at the time. The tragedy was followed by another shock just a couple of months later. It seems that when it came to twins and multiple birth siblings, prior to the 1960s, it was believed that separating the children was best practice. But the reason behind Bobby, Eddie, and David being adopted by different families was not simply due to an outdated policy of the adoption agency. The sinister truth was that the triplets and their adoptive families were all unwitting participants in a twisted, highly secretive psychological experiment. The test was designed to study the long-term impacts of raising identical siblings in different environments. Overseeing the project, which had funding from the U.S. National Institute of Mental Health, was child psychiatrist Dr. Peter Neubauer. Essentially, Neubauer wanted to see if nurture overrode nature when it came to twins and triplets. He was an Austrian Jew who fled Nazi Germany during World War II. But years later, his scientific work would be compared to the same inhumane experiments conducted on Holocaust victims and survivors. It was no accident that Bobby, Eddie, and David were raised in different socioeconomic environments. David's father, a grocery store owner, was a kind and loving man who warmly welcomed his son's brothers into his life. Bobby had a more distant relationship with his father, who traveled and was away from home often. Eddie, on the other hand, had a volatile relationship with his father. From the time the triplets were adopted until their second birthday, the research team, led by Neubauer, would visit them several times a year to conduct developmental and cognitive testing. The visits were filmed and would continue on an annual basis until the boys turned 10. As far as their families knew, this was all part of the standard monitoring protocol in place for adopted children everywhere. The unsuspecting parents had no idea their adopted sons were being treated like lab rats. Demanding answers, the parents approached Louise Wise Services. The adoption agency claimed that, according to policy, the boys had been separated because it was too difficult to place triplets in one household. David's adoptive father was outraged, telling the agency that had he known, he would have adopted all three boys without question. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. As the years passed, Bobby and David went back to leading their own separate lives out of the media spotlight. The two had little contact with each other, 
until 2017, when a British filmmaker approached them about turning their story into a documentary. The project was called Three Identical Strangers, and it reconnected the two surviving brothers. The truth is with documentaries, you know, there are interviews and there are interviews and, you know, a film can, it, it lives or dies on, on, on how um, your contributors are when they're, when they're being interviewed. And, you know, the, these guys really, really brought it for the interviews and that, you know, the emotional honesty that they, they, were, they were able to display and the, the fact they put themselves totally on show and totally, you know, exposed themselves to us was, was extraordinary. And, you know, this film would be nothing without them and their commitment to, they had to it. One thing the filmmakers were eager to review was the adoption records. But despite many attempts, the triplets had never managed to get their hands on them. The brothers did eventually gain access to around 10,000 pages of the study, but unfortunately, much of the information was redacted. There was nothing to indicate what the findings were or whether there was any plan to ever publish them. The media attention surrounding news of the study exposed the grossly unethical and psychologically damaging experiment for what it was. It also helped facilitate the reunion of other identical siblings who had been separated by the agency in pursuit of the study. Louise Wise Services closed in 2004. There's no question the actions of the research team, who to this day have never published any of their findings, did irrevocable damage to the mental health of many of the children involved in the study. Bobby and David have both been open about what they believe were signs of separation anxiety in their behavior early on. Their adoptive mothers stated that as babies, they both banged their heads against walls. They would often do the same thing while in their cribs. Eddie and David continued experiencing mental health issues through adolescence. As they got older, some fell into trouble with the law. Serious trouble. Before Bobby went to college, for example, he was on probation after pleading guilty to charges connected to the murder of an elderly woman. The incident happened during a robbery in 1978 that went very wrong. When a journalist eventually tracked down Dr. Peter Neubauer during the mid-1990s for an article, he offered no apologies to the children whose lives had been forever affected by his experiment. And there would never be one. Neubauer died in 2008. Even after his death, it's unlikely anyone interested in the study will ever get access to the records. The documents are housed on the campus of Yale, and access is strictly managed by the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services. Following Dr. Neubauer's instructions, they will remain sealed until at least the year 2065. I wrote about the study in The New Yorker, and then I was working on a book about twins, and I decided I would try to find out more about that study. And I discovered that there was a very eminent psychiatrist here in New York, Dr. Peter Neubauer. Uh, who was a director of the Freud archives. And he was, he was the guy who was overseeing this study. And uh, there were a number of twins. We don't know how many. Uh, but it was when I was talking to him, uh, he let slip that there was also a triplet uh, group in, in the study. And uh, there aren't that many 
uh, triplets born anyway or identical and happened to be in a Jewish adoption agency. So tracking the boys down was uh, not, that, not that difficult after that. But uh, we, there are still probably several twin pairs that have not discovered themselves. Thankfully, current U.S. laws around adoption, child welfare, and consent to participate in such studies have changed drastically since the days of rogue academic experiments. Today, whenever possible, siblings up for adoption are placed in the same home to maintain healthy childhood development. As dark and troubling as the story of the triplets is, if there's any argument to be made for nature over nurture, then this next story is it. In August 1939, Jess and Lucille Lewis, from Lima, Ohio, adopted a three-week-old baby boy naming him James, or Jim for short. As a child, Jim Lewis grew up with his adopted brother Larry and had a beloved pet dog he called Toy. He excelled at math and enjoyed subjects where he could use his hands, such as woodworking. But he really wasn't a fan of spelling. As a young man, Jim married a woman named Linda, but sadly, the couple later divorced. He found love again with a woman named Betty, and the pair went on to have a son named James Allen. By this time, Jim was earning a steady income as a security guard. He drove a Chevy and chain-smoked Salem cigarettes. On vacation, he liked to escape down to Florida's Pasa Grill Beach and enjoyed sipping on Miller Lite beer. Not long after Jim was adopted by the Lewises, Lucille went to finalize the adoption paperwork with the court. She knew Jim had a twin brother who had been adopted by another family, but didn't know anything about them. While waiting to file her documents, she heard the court staff mention that her son's twin had also been named James by his adoptive family. No matter, she thought. It was just a funny coincidence. Years later, she mentioned this to Jim, so he at least knew his brother had the same first name. But that was all she told him. In 1979, Jim's curiosity eventually got the better of him. He contacted the court where his adoption had been logged and requested that his details be sent to his brother. It wasn't long before his twin got in touch. Jim Springer lived in Piqua, Ohio. The town was not even 45 miles away. It was amazing that the men had lived so close to each other all their lives. But how much more could the twins possibly have in common? After all, they were raised by totally different families. Yet, as the men began sharing details of their lives, they quickly realized they might as well have been talking to a mirror. In a way, they kind of were. As a child, Jim Springer and his adopted brother, Larry, also had a pet dog named Toy. Jim Springer also had a flair for math and woodwork at school, and spelling was his downfall, just like his twin brother. 
After graduating, he married his girlfriend, also named Linda. When the couple later divorced, Jim remarried to a woman named, you guessed it, Betty. In time, they welcomed their son, James Allen, and the family enjoyed vacations down at Pasa Grill Beach in Florida. Jim Springer drove a Chevy to his job as a deputy sheriff and was also a longtime chain smoker. Like his brother, he too preferred Salem cigarettes, and his choice of beer was, yep, Miller Lite. Incredibly, that was not all. Both men were chronic nail-biters, and both experienced tension headaches. By the time they met, the brothers were both exactly six feet tall, and found they had inexplicably gained ten pounds at the exact same time. Part of the shock for Jim Springer in all of this was the news that he had a twin at all. According to his mother, his twin had died, which is what she was told years earlier. It was a very good, warm feeling, you know. It's like uh, you have something favorite of yours and you lost it and you have to have it, you know. And you finally find it and it's a good feeling to find, to find that thing. Well, that's where it was with Jim. Words came really say. It wasn't long before the Jim twins, as they came to be known, were making the rounds, giving TV interviews about their lives and their many remarkable similarities. As their astonishing story made news across the country, it caught the attention of researchers at the University of Minnesota. As if there weren't already enough coincidences, the year the twins were reunited, 1979, was the same year the university had started one of several famous studies on twins. Like the highly unethical work of Dr. Peter Neubauer and his team, the Minnesota study of twins reared apart, as it was called, also focused on the question of whether genetics or environmental factors were more influential in the development of twins separated at birth. However, unlike the secret nature of Neubauer's work, the Minnesota study was not intentionally separating any siblings at birth. According to the Minnesota Center for Twin and Family Research, the study originally only focused on twins born in the state of Minnesota from 1936 to 1955. The research parameters were later expanded to include twins born between 1961 and 1964. The study was led by prominent psychologist Dr. Thomas Bouchard, and the participants had already been separated and raised in different families. They were later tested as adults, only after giving their full consent. In the 20-year period between 1979 and 1999, the team studied 137 sets of twins. 81 were identical, while the remaining 56 pairs were fraternal. The landmark study went on to drive further pioneering research into the shared health and psychological characteristics between twins. While the Jim twins were born in Ohio and not Minnesota, Researchers were still very interested in including them in the study. The team reached out to the brothers to see if they would be interested in participating, and they happily agreed. The pair were individually tested on a wide range of metrics, including personality traits and measuring brainwave activity. Dr. Bouchard thought he had seen it all during his long career studying the similarities between twins. But the results of the Jim twins, at times, left him and his team speechless. 
Not only were their test scores consistently similar, but when the brothers were asked to draw a random picture, they each drew exactly the same thing. For researchers, it was like one person had undergone two rounds of the same testing. We had the case with uh, Jim Springer and Jim Lewis. They had the, our first set of twins. They came here and we videotaped them. And because they were in our, our first twins, we hadn't really completed the assessment that we would like to have had. Mm -hmm. So we brought them back six months later. And I recall playing a videotape. They asked to put the tape on. And I put the videotape on and I said, I don't know which twin is on this tape. And the voice came on and uh, Jim Lewis said, oh, that's me. And the picture came on and it was his brother. So as a demonstration of similarity in voice, that, uh, that was perfect. Ultimately, the study found that even if twins are raised apart, there's a fairly equal chance they will have the same psychological and personality attributes as those brought up in the same household. The conclusion was that genetics is responsible for the similarities, while environmental influences account for the differences. Yeah, one of the consequences that I, I point out to my classes and that don't seem to sort of get into the public uh, consciousness is that as we create uh, more and more egalitarian and equal societies with equal opportunity, uh, the differences between individuals become more and more genetically based. And uh, the differences don't go away. The overall range may be reduced somewhat, but the differences don't go away, and they become more and more genetic, which is a sort of a paradoxical uh, finding if, if you're an environmentalist. If you believe that there are genetic differences, it's a natural consequence. As far as the Jim twins are concerned, however, there is one more test to observe. It remains to be seen whether Jim Springer will follow his brother's lead by divorcing his second wife and go on to marry for a third time. If he does, researchers believe it's a safe bet her name will be Sandy. I wonder why I 
Seventeen feels like eighteen ninety-one, and I'm hoping that my scars don't scare you the way that you see good in my face. I still loved you when life was in prison. is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by Gemma Harris. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. As always, a huge thanks for listening and for your amazing reviews and ratings. I'll be back next week with another episode. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.